Good evening, and welcome to Wish Upon a Star. I'm Andell Banks, your host. Wish Upon a Star is a dynamic radio program spotlighting talent in the arts arena with discussions of the challenges and some advice in making it in the visual, musical, literary, painting, and performing arts. As a unique part of the show, we will interview professional guests, experts in the fields of entertainment law, copywriting, studio recording, publishing, and promoters, all relative to this highly competitive industry. When I am not too familiar with my guests and their passion and talent, I do a little research. So I've done some research on the art of the jazz guitarist. The guitar, especially the jazz rhythm guitar, has fulfilled the roles of accompanist and soloist in a small and sometimes large ensembles, and also as a solo instrument. In the early 1930s, before guitar amplifiers were widely used, it was difficult for jazz guitarists playing acoustic instruments to be heard over drums, piano, or horn sections. So, as a result, jazz guitarists tended to act as accompanists, strumming chords as part of the rhythm section. After guitar amplifiers were developed in the 1930s, electric guitarists, such as George Barnes and Charlie Christian, were able to project their solo sound over a jazz ensemble. In the 1960s, guitarists tended to play in small groups, such as Jim Hall, who did his best work in duos with Bill Evans, Ron Carter, and others. Wes Montgomery was a self-taught guitarist who used his right thumb rather than a plectrum or a pick to produce his unique sound in his late 1950s and 1960s hard bop recordings. Joe Pass pioneered solo guitar with substitutions in his duos with Ella Fitzgerald, Grant Green was also known for his 1960s organ trio music. Fusion guitarists such as Larry Coriel, John McLaughlin, Pat Metheny, and Alan Holsworth combined the sound and energy of rock with jazz-style improvisation. Now we get to the new generation of jazz guitar players who are using many different concepts and tastes in their improvisations and compositions. While still maintaining the roots of jazz guitar, being bebop and swing, these guitars take advantage of the whole musical development of jazz during the last few decades. From post-bop to free jazz and jazz fusion, which is an amalgamation of blues or rock, or folkloric and world music with jazz. This evolution was started by, in an older generation, Jim Hall, and guitarists like Pat McBeanie, John Schofield, Mike Stern, Alan Holsworth, Bill Frizzell. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Today in our mess, we can add our modern-day guest guitarist, Rodney Kelly, of the Rodney Kelly Experience. Welcome to the show, Rodney. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me. I consider it an honor, and uh, I want to say you did your homework very well listening to your dissertation. You did some good research. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh I wouldn't do anything less because I want my audience to know I've heard you play, and I just wanted to step up to the plate. <laughs> oh, well, I certainly appreciate it, and uh, we're going to have fun today. Absolutely. Well, what our first thing I usually do, Rodney, is to ask my guests with these special uh, immaculate talents that they have uh, really progressed, 
where one's passion begins. So growing up, what influenced you to choose the guitar? And at what age did you then take on the challenge of learning this particular instrument? Well, that's an interesting question because it's actually twofold. I was uh, a child that was in the house quite a bit, so I listened to a lot of things. And uh, saying the age that I am now, it was drums, actually, to start when I was in elementary oh. school. But then one day I heard an album called Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix. I heard him do one of his most famous hits, Little Wing, and there was another called Spanish Castle Magic. But I didn't mm. take the passion of guitar just then. I just loved that sound, and it stuck in my head. By the time I became a teenager, then I really started, for some reason or another, turning more towards music, and it was the guitar that I beelined for to play. By then, it was fully entrenched. I had Hendrix albums and other albums that I was listening to, and I wanted that sound to be able to reproduce and play like those guys that I heard. That's how it started for me. Oh, wow. And I didn't even mention Jimi Hendrix, because I'm sure you would have. So I didn't want to, you know, go ahead and do that, because <laughs> I know right. you would. Because uh, we're going to get to that where people can actually hear your music. So we're going to get to that later on in the show. Okay. I want to let our audience know that they may already know the answer to this. But in your opinion, who has been credited in making the guitar as an intricate part of music composition and performances? Well, these days, most people go back to, as you said in your earlier dissertation, Wes Montgomery and Joe Pass. However, those guys got their foundation from Charlie Christian. But back okay. in those days, uh, we didn't get a lot of promotion as a people in the days of Charlie Christian, as a people for what we were doing. And he was a, a pioneer in what he was doing with the electric guitar. But if you ever listen to his music, his playing was far superior to things that were going on at the time. It was just in a different genre. So by the time guys like Wes Montgomery came along and Joe Pass came along, they took it to the next level. And so that's why you hear a lot of times of Wes Montgomery with his unique style, uh, with his thumb, Joe Pass, which was a great solo guitar player. And uh, there's very few guitar players that can really pull it off like Joe Pass did. He could play by himself, chord and melody. So when he hooked up with Ellen Fitzgerald, it was something beautiful. Absolutely. And some of us older people who love <laughs> Ellen Fitzgerald will now go back and listen to that since you mentioned it. And I yes. thank you for that. Because yes. that's some part of history that a lot of us maybe didn't even pay attention to. Oh, it's wonderful history to go back and to do, because in those days, bands were big. You had Tommy Dorsey, rather. You had big right. bands. You had big swing bands. You didn't have a lot of duos that could pull it off or play to that type of virtuosity that they had. So Joe Pass was very, very unique in that. And listening to him and others like Jim Hall and guys that did that, that was a catalyst for the newer generation coming along after them. Like George Benson. He listened to those right. guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, in your early stage of playing, did you always want to play the guitar and mainly concentrate on jazz? Or did you play other instruments and probably mm -hmm. perform other types of music as well? Well, back when I first started really getting into the music, uh, around the 60s as listening and the 70s when I started to play, for a black musician or a kid in the inner city, it was James Brown. It was The Temptations. It was Motown. It was right. that type of sound. Now, as I loved that sound, because for the radio stations in our area that we got yes. to listen to, that's all you heard. So mm -hmm. in Baltimore, there were two main radio stations that I would listen to on, as we would say, the black side, WWIN. They played all of our music with a black radio station. And then it was a radio station called WKTK that played rock. So I would diddle-daddly between the two. And when I started playing guitar, rock was the influence over everything because it mm. made the guitar stand out as an instrument that's out front. 
But if you take and look at the R&B, guitar was a rhythm instrument, more on the funky side, more for dancing. Although I liked it, personality-wise, I loved what the rock guitar players were doing. So I tended to lean that way. And, of course, Jimi Hendrix being the catalyst for that, and all of the people that were trying to play like Hendrix. And Chuck Berry was another, because he was Mm -hmm. very unique in what he did. So jazz didn't come to me till much later, when I was beginning to go to college, jazz came. I tried it for a while, but you got to think, this is maybe mid-70s, when uh, I went to college, uh, mid, mid to, to late 70s. So that was the time when the Isley Brothers and the scene of the music was funk. You had George right. Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, the Barquets, Cameo, and all of these groups. So I tended to play that because that was the music of my peers. But as I got older, I found jazz to be more intricate, jazz to be more musical and more challenging. So your, your dance music is not made for you to really listen. It's made to make you feel something and make you want to dance. It's about the drums. It's about the groove. In that time, it was about the bass guitar. You had guys like Bootsy, Collins, and these guys that really pioneered that sound. But for guitar, when I started getting into jazz guitar, I found there was a plethora of great guitarists that I had not been exposed to, never listened to. So I just went loco over some of this stuff uh, and just listening and gathering all that I could gather. I had a good knowledge of music, but not to put it together in jazz. And so doing that, it really heightened my awareness of music, but made me an entire different player than I was when I played back in the 70s during the rock and funk era. I see. Uh, that brings me up to my next question, which I ask most musicians. Um, and I'm thinking, many musicians in the past became known without the knowledge of knowing how to read music. Right. In today's music arena, and in your opinion, should musicians know how to read music? Well, that's a two-edged sword, if you will. Uh, West Montgomery and a lot of these guys weren't music readers. They were creators on what they felt. And if you remember, as we say, us older folks, they had guys that were arrangers that would come in, hear your music, and pin it, put it on paper for you, so that it could be played by multiple instruments. But your guys that were, because you figure back in 60s and 70s, or even before then, we didn't have money to go to college to learn music. That was another culture that did that. We picked up instruments, and we heard the old men playing them, or we heard records, and we tried to emulate what we heard on those records. Some were fortunate to go to to college or to learn music. But in today's uh, music playing field, it is vastly different. Reading music is necessary for certain genres, certain jobs. If I'm going to teach, I need to know how to read music. If I'm going Mm. to play in big bands and other people's bands that have their music charted out, I need to know how to read music. If I am an artist myself and creating my own, I don't have to know how to read music. It does help. Some, it hinders. You would think that's strange. But I'll put it this way. And I go listen to a lot of musicians play. And I'll go listen to a band, let's say Band X, and they have some great players. And they put the sheets Mm -hmm. in front of them, and they play every note correctly. And it's like paint drying. Just boring, because there's no feel there. That is something that musicians who didn't have much knowledge developed, that feel. And so it really depends on what you want to do with your music. I am by no means discouraging learning to read music because what that helped me with is this. When I decided to take on jazz, I wanted to learn all of these songs that I was hearing the greats play, but I didn't know the songs. 
So it's one of two ways. You sit down, you put the record. I'm dating myself. Did I just say record? <laughs> you yeah. put on the CD or in these days, uh, however it's, it's done, your MP3s or what have you, and you learned it by ear. But for me, knowing music, knowing chord structure, and can look at a chord chart, well, then I can go get what's called your fake books, your music books, and I can sit down and say, oh, this is what they're doing, because I can look at it. But then once I do that, I get rid of that and say, okay, I'm going to play it this way. I'm going to adopt it to my feel, my style, but I know the basis of it. Uh, another place that'll help, if there's, there's two types of musicians, basically, your leaders and your sidemen. If I'm a okay. sideman in somebody's band, then it behooves me to know how to read. That means I can come right in, day one, look at their music and play it. If I'm not a sideman and not interested in being a sideman, reading music is only going to have certain points that I'm going to have to use or going to need to use. Hope that answered your question. Oh, absolutely, and most yeah. thoroughly, because as an artist, uh, you brought up a good point, and I hope my audience is listening and tuning into that, that if you ever have a creative energy, yeah. when I went to art school, they did not have books. Yeah. <laughs> Once I went to art school, uh, matter of fact, here in Baltimore, it was a private school, and they only taught Renaissance. Okay. And when they taught Renaissance, they didn't have any, only instruction they had was to tell you to do it. Yes. So yes. that's a good point. At yes. some times, you might need to learn music, and sometimes you need to upgrade your skills, even in art. So that's a very good a point that you brought up, and I'm, I'm glad that you did. Yes, let's all I'm going to jump a, a ahead guy. a little bit, okay? because I want people to know that how great you are. So, uh, I'm, I'm only as artists. good as the guys that I try to emulate, and you're so kind. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm saying that sometimes when we meet people, uh, uh, musical giants in your case, yes. can sometimes make you want to pinch yourself to see yes. if it's true. Yes. What are some memorable instances that made you want to just pinch yourself from this excitement? I'll tell you the very first one. I was about maybe 15 years old, and I was rehearsing in a club in Baltimore, and the area is called Pennsylvania Avenue. That used to be a mecca for black music before the riots uh, of the 60s. So around the 70s, it was on its way down and out. But it was a mecca. They had uh, the Royal Theater, the Regent, and where you could see James Brown and all of these people would come there because that was the only area as us as blacks that we could play. One day, I'm up there, and uh, we're with my band. We're all teenagers. And I knew a young man by the name of Lee Holmes. He would diddly-daddly with different groups, name groups that he knew. He was a Muslim. So he brings this young girl up, and we're just playing a whole bunch of hair. You know, I'm not paying her any attention because she's young, looks young to me. Maybe I would say I was 15. She may be in about 20, if that much to me then. I'm not paying too mm -hmm. much attention. We'll start playing. And he said, Rodney, I want to introduce you to someone. And I look at her, and I look at her again, and this girl standing in front of me over top of this run-down, dinky-dink bar is Shaka Khan. Now, this is when oh. she first put out her first record. She wasn't even big then. And I look, I say, I did that. you know how you get dumb, and you can't say your words. And so I, <laughs> the band that I was playing with, three of the members of the band didn't have sight. They were super musicians. I said, guys, Shaka Khan is in here. You know, yeah, right, right, right. I said, let's play Sweet Thing. We start playing Sweet Thing. She grabs the mic, and she starts singing Sweet Thing. Now, I look back at that now. I'm at 15 years old playing on a rinky-dink ball with Shaka Khan at my rehearsal singing her big song. I'll never forget that. Never saw her again in concert or anything like that, but I had an opportunity to play with her. That will stick and there's another, a friend of mine, Italian guy out of Jersey, named Trade Martin. Trade Martin has a huge history in, in, in the industry. He uh, was the first session guitar player on the Osley Brothers' Twist and Shout. He's produced Joni Mitchell and all of those uh, cats back there that he's had a chance with. Well, when I had a little studio, he would come down, and he allowed me to work with him on B.B. King's album, and the album went 
platinum. They would record it in my studio, in my upstairs. This was the 80s, the time when synthesizers first came out. I had what was called a MIDI studio. All of my equipment was run by a Commodore 64. Now, if you know anything about computers, your watch you have now is more powerful than that computer was back then. Uh, And I had eight keyboards, two drum machines. What we would do is we would come in my house and we would program BB's music, put it all on disc, take it back to New York, plug it into the big studio up there, lay it on the 24-track tape. BB would come in, sing over it, and they would bring live horns over it, mix it, and put it out. And I had opportunity to work on that. So I saw right up in the paper, and it says, that Rodney Kelly can really program a computer. That was an honor. And would you believe I worked on BB's album, got credit on it, and never met him. Oh. Mm. But those two things really stand out because I actually had a hand in the industry that I love, which is no longer there, that industry, music industry, that I love with people of note, that that will always stay with me. So those are inspirational times, too, where yes. you meet somebody and you go like, wow, you yes. know, I've got to be good. Even to say that I even played with them, because if you're not good, somebody would say, oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay, That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> That's wonderful. I don't know anything about playing a guitar, even though I have a guitar, because I had a gallery and I had antique guitars and saxophones and ukuleles and everything. But what are some of the uh, particulars or important elements of playing the guitar? How many strings does it have? What are the tones like you would have the piano mostly to know? Yeah. Now, how does the guitar work so far as chords and that? Well, a guitar, basically, and we as guitar players, we we have this overkill thing because we, we love our guitars, but and some worship their guitars. But it's basically a piece of wood, steel, and plastic to be used at our discretion and would not to be worshipped. Now, the intricacies of a guitar, it is a very unique instrument because okay. most instruments will play one note at a time. Mm-hmm. So they will need an accompaniment, like a saxophone, saxophonist, like a vocalist, violinist. They, a violinist can play too, but most instruments play one note. The guitar and the piano are basically the only two instruments where you can play the entire chord and the melody at the same time. The guitar oh. has six strings. So if someone calls me, which I do this quite a bit, and they say, well, we don't have a budget for a large band but can you do a solo performance? I can play the song, I can play the background of the song, I can play the melody of the song at the same time, because the guitar is that type of instrument, like listening to a piano. You may hear the piano play the chords and do a solo and do runs at the same time. You couldn't achieve that with a wind instrument. You couldn't achieve that with a vocalist. So it is very, very unique. Uh, it can be the sound coming from the guitar now, as you know, electric, so it's hooked up to an amplifier, which dispersed the sound over the room. But you hit it with a mm-hmm. pick, some play just with their fingers, especially your nylon string guitars, which more your classical or your gypsy or your uh, Spanish type of sound that you're looking for. So it depends on the genre. Now, with rock, of course, your rock, and you will see these guitars, tend to be what we call solid body guitars. It's one slab of wood that uh, has been hewn out for the pickups, which your pickups are your uh, uh, magnets that hear the sound and send it down through the wire to your amplifier. Basically, that's what's happening there. And they are made so that they can be played loudly without feedback. A hollow body guitar, on the other hand, like what I play mostly, is a guitar, it's really a extension of a classical guitar. It's a classical guitar with a pickup added on to it. But you can't mm-hmm. turn them up too loud. It's like when you're in your studio with your microphone. If your speakers are close to that microphone, you create a loop. Yes. And it hums. Yes. Well, that happens with a hollow body guitar. However, the sound that a hollow body guitar gives off, as opposed to a solid body guitar, is night and day. 
two different applications, not to say you can't use either one, but it has a distinctive sound. That sound you hear with Joe Pass, that song you hear with Wes Montgomery and George Benson, those are hollow body sounds. The sound you hear at Jimi Hendrix, that's a solid body. Mm -hmm. He's using distortion. He's using a lot of what we call pedals to alter the sound of a guitar to give you that sound that he puts off. So there are definitely differences. Right. It sounds intricate. So to back on that, how long would it take a person to learn to play the guitar? And also, I know you don't want to go into the long lessons, but you said you can play both the melody as well as the other chords. How is that accomplished? I can see it on the piano because you have to left and the right, up and down scales. Right. So mm-hmm. How do you do that on a guitar? Well, let's yes, take, for instance, six? you know, having six strings is where you're placing your melody and knowing how the human ear works. First, the human ear goes directly to the highest pitch first. Okay. Higher pitches travel, the sound travels faster than lower pitches. Now, so if I pick up my guitar and let's take a jazz standard. Let's take a standard that you and I both know. A standard may be misty, Okay. And we know yes. that the uh, Misty starts out with, look at me. That's the melody. That's what's being said. But what's right. being played behind it is a whole entire chord. So I can do both of those. I can say, hear that? Look. There's at and me. So folks will hear, look at me, and hear the chord at the same time. My top string I'm devoting to the melody. My lower strings, I'm devoting to the chord, and my last string, I'm devoting to the bass note of that chord. Now you get a full spectrum of sound. If I have a band playing with me, I'll just play the top. Look at me. And the band is doing the rest. If I'm by myself, I can play all those other parts in the chord and put the melody on top. So if a person would take up trying to play the guitar, what kind of time they need to devote to even learning the different chords of the guitar, basically? Basically, that goes back to what it is you want to do with a guitar. Okay. The music, like, for instance, let's say some Americana, uh, let's say some songs maybe like Jimmy Buffett or, or folk music. Those songs, can you can learn to play those things in a couple of weeks. Because they're basically three-finger songs, three-note chords, what we call open chords. And they have a distinctive sound, like you will hear them in country music, or you hear them in, uh, I say, Americana music. There's another that you hear songs like. Those sounds. Very easy to accomplish. If that's the music that you want to go for, and you have a passion for that, you can accomplish. If you want to play jazz guitar, this is going to take some time. Because oh. now we are fretting. We call it fretting. That means playing notes on the neck. No open strings that just ring. But you are fretting complex chords. Whereas your hands, your position of your hands, may change every beat or every four beats. Because you're playing chord and you're playing melody. That is going to take some devotion to getting to do. And for any instrument, not only guitar, your players that play it well, it's on their heart to do it. They hear that. I can listen to a song and pick out the guitar because that's what's on my heart to do. But some want to just accompany themselves. Some people are good singers and are not really interested in being great instrumentalists. Then they pick up the basics and they can go play. There's tons of books. Well, and unlike when you and I came along, we couldn't go on YouTube and watch. Yeah. Well, now mm-hmm. you can click on YouTube and there's people sitting right there. We'll go through it step by step by step to play the songs that you want. And usually this is accomplished by someone hearing a song like me and saying, ooh, I wish I could play that song or I wish I could play guitar. Now, these days you can go right on YouTube and they show you how to do it put a little practice in, you get motivation, because now I'm doing what my heart wants. 
and that's how you progress. Wow, that's fair. What if before I go on a break, I just want to add to that, and I know my audience got all of that because that was just well, well uh, said. Improvisation in a jazz group is something our listeners may understand to a certain degree. Right. But I want to let them know, soloing by guitars, that often doesn't happen in a group. When you somebody hollers out and say, give the guitar some. <laughs> <laughs> right, give the drummer some. right here that it can only be accomplished by a master guitarist such as yourself. You're much too kind. You're much too kind. Well, you know, it, okay. it, it is, it, we're going to it take is a interesting. Break. You're going to take a what break? What I want you to do, yeah, we're going to take a 15-second break, okay. and we'll be right back. So Certainly. we just get a glass of water or something, and we'll be back in 15 seconds. Wonderful. All righty. Let's get loose. This yeah. What up, y'all? Just came to your city to say what's up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Show me love. Hi. Uh, hop off the plane to a new show what up? And all the shorties, they be waiting on me Thugs packing, they pistols But ain't nobody aiming on me, Not me. Got a pocket full of fresh dough So you know I got a bacon, homie Good evening and welcome back to Wish Upon a Star I'm your host, Andale Banks And you're listening to the broadcast on www.bbsradio.com station 2 you can listen to all of our previous broadcasts in the archive link. We also welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. To repeat that, we welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. And look for us on iTunes, Facebook, in syndication, and on any of your devices. Again, we thank you for joining us with our special guest today, Rodney Kelly, jazz and classic R&B guitarist of the Rodney Kelly Experience. Okay, Rodney, you've become a great guitarist through hard work and attention to development of your skills. How do you feel about what you have chosen as a vocation, and how has it affected your life so far? Oh, I I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, I think I am okay. wrapped up in guitar as much as guitar is wrapped up in, in me. Uh, I am thankful to be able to play it, to be exposed to it, and to have the support of a loving wife that helps that all along. So it really is your passion, and that's another question I always ask. If you had anything to change, would you change? And 85% of my guests never say they would change anything. Uh, musically, no. I would not change a thing in how it's happened. I've stuck to my passion. I haven't become super rich at it. But you know what? I'm glad of that also. Uh, that's, a, that's a whole other story and, and dissertation. But when I pick up my guitar now and play, it can be and is for the sheer love of that instrument, the sound that it produced, and what I am able to do with it. Since I don't have to depend on my guitar to feed my family, to take care of my bills, when I pick that thing up to play it, it's a special situation for me every time, and I wouldn't change it. Absolutely. I am the same way with my art. It's mm -hmm. a passion that I love, and it becomes... If it becomes work, then I don't think I would like it at all. Right, yeah, that's it. That <laughs> is it. If it became work, it. The, the, the work which people say you put in the work in your practice, I don't look at practice as work. No. I don't look at no. putting that, playing that guitar as work because I see what I want to say begin to develop on that instrument. To me, that's not work. If I'm sitting here three, four hours with this thing in my hand, practicing it and practicing, trying to do something, I never see that as work. Exactly, exactly. I know there you have a lot of uh, guitars. That is, uh, I love the the pictures that you have with them. <laughs> uh, just for edification, uh, what types of guitars are there, and what would a beginner, an intermediate, or an advanced person you would suggest? Five. Well, hmm, let's see. I have nineteen wives. 
<laughs> my wife, oh, she, my lo- she married those dogs. Yeah, I'm married to all of them, and they all have distinct personalities, and and uh, uh, they're all here in the basement, and I take care of all of them. Uh, let's see. I have several, since I play a lot of jazz now, several hollow body guitars, as we spoke of earlier. I have yeah. several... Solid bodies, solid body guitars. That if I want to play some funk or get into my rock mode, even though I play jazz, I'll break off and do some Jimi Hendrix in a minute because I love that. I have guitars for that. Then sometimes I want to play Spanish. I want to play flamenco, flamenco. Uh, so I have guitars that are designed just for that. I even have a guitar. It's called a Godin, and it is a guitar that hooks up to a specially made Roland synthesizer. So I can go oh. into a club by myself and give you an entire uh, orchestra. You are wondering where the vibes are coming from, where the violins are coming from, where the horns are coming mm-hmm. from, and it's all generated through my guitar. So I have them for just about any situation that I need. However, the purest and the ones that are with me the most, you'll see me with my hollow body because I'm playing my jazz. Okay. Now, you asked about for someone first starting on guitar or coming along. What I would suggest, and I see this happen erroneously a lot, guys will go out and buy expensive instruments because they can. But that's not a wise decision. Uh, uh, Because, you know, they'll buy guitars that are played by the stars with the assumption, oh, well, uh, George Benson plays his guitar. Maybe if I buy one of George Benson's guitar, I'll sound like that. (laughs) No, you won't. That ain't happening. Okay. What I suggest is to go and buy a guitar, go into the store, don't mail order, feel it. See if it feels good, but do not buy an expensive guitar. You don't know next year do you still want to play the thing, and you've spent all this money. If it is truly a passion with you, you will know, and then you will bump up to the next, or you will bump up to the next. But if it's not, and you find, well, you know, I really don't want to put the practice in it. Or, like some young ladies, I don't want to cut my fingernails. Uh, this, this getting the, the sores on the end of my fingers until the callus build up, I'm not really ready to go through that. Now, if you spent five or three, dollars or $4,000 for a guitar, that's a tragedy. So you start small and see if it's something you really like. Your heart will dictate where you need to go. That's Excellent. my advice. Excellent. I know you had mentioned in one of your shows, as always, you said you go around and get different music and listen to different bands and everything. Uh, At the top of the line, let's say this modern day uh, playing of jazz, who are some of your role models in the jazz world and why? Okay, well, of course, you know, like the ones that's coming up now. Okay. I would say George Benson uh, would be one that's still doing it uh, now as a jazz guitarist. The other ones would be, of course, Wes, who's passed away, Chuck Loeb. You have some of your smooth jazz guitar players that are out now, like uh, Norman Brown, Nick Coleone. They came along with the smooth jazz genre, although they had been around before in the R&B scene, but coming out as players themselves, as artists themselves. But I tend, for me, to stick more closer to Benson and only because I can go in his archives and listen to things he did 30, 40 years ago, and they're still fantastic, and it is what we call true jazz. I like that. Right. You know, I, I like the new, what they call smooth jazz, which is not really jazz at all. It's uh, no. slowed down R&B. I, I go to a concert, and they say, okay, we're going to have a smooth jazz artist, and the artist plays uh, For the Love of You by the Osley Brothers. Now, the Osley Brothers has never been jazz, so, but right. if they take the song, they slow it, and they put a horn playing the melody or some or guitar playing, they say, oh, this is smooth jazz. Really, you know, that's a marketing tool. But when you're talking about jazz, the traditional jazz, put it that way, that's a whole different thing and takes a whole different skill set to do. And so, yeah, Benson would be, Wes Montgomery and cats like that would be my role models. Right. I consider myself a jazz uh, DJ, and I play Cannonball and George Benson. Yes. And uh, I like uh, Porter. Cole Porter. Yes. You know, 
yeah. the quarter. And I also like uh, um, Nicholas Beard uh, mm-hmm. in the vocal range. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. where I was asking about the most current ones. Would you still consider them jazz artists? Well, if you want to use that that title. Now, this is not a knock against them. It's not to say that they cannot play the traditional jazz, because some of these cats I've heard uh, do that, play the, but they do what they do at this point in life, probably for economics, to make money at it. They're yeah. good at it. They make money at it. Okay, And a lot of times musicians will go and do that to make money, because that's their vocation. That is how they earn their living. So whatever comes along, they may jump on that bandwagon. Uh, some of them, sadly to say, have to do that because they have trapped themselves. But that's a whole nother uh, dissertation there. But your new ones, like you say, you have Nick Coleone, Chuck Loeb, who just passed away. Great guitar player. Yeah. You have uh, Mark Whitfield. Now, Mark Whitfield, he started out, and he's a young man too, he started out just playing the traditional jazz. And he's known for right. that, but he was so good at it that he's made a mark in the industry, so he still gets calls. But uh, again, guys like Norman Brown is fantastic guitar players, and I like uh, to hear them play. Uh, Paul Jackson Jr., and many people don't know that Paul Jackson Jr. is on a ton of records that they hear that he's playing bass and guitar. Phenomenal player. And there's tons of them out there, tons of them worldwide that's out there. Yeah, I've got some here that I know a lot of people haven't even heard of. I like Norman Brown. I've got him. Too. Oh, Norman Brown. But you know who I like, who, who who was great, and I meant to mention before, Earl Gardner. Earl Clue. When I was trying to learn the piano, I said, Mike, oh, Earl, okay, the, uh, Earl Gardner wrote Misty. <laughs> but you're thinking Earl Clue, the guitar player. Yeah, I was thinking him, too, but I was thinking about Earl Gardner with the piano. When I yeah. was mentioning about, do you need to know how to read music? He didn't even know how to read music. And no. he, he, was he heard it. He heard yeah, it he in heard his it. head. He, that was a, a prime example what you were saying before. Some people need to, and then some people don't. Right, right, right. And Rodney, the Rodney Kelly experience is remarkable. How long have y'all been together, performing together? Sure. My band has been together with me for at least 12 years. Now, I've had some who've come and gone, but my core unit has been with me for at least 12 years. My uh, saxophone player, Mr. Russell Lyles, has been with me the longest. I may say almost the longest. I may say about 13 years with him. And he's actually played, uh, went on tour with Cool and the Gang. He's played with Earth, Wind, and Fire uh, when they came to town and with Chicago. Phenomenal player. Tony Lunsford uh, on bass. And he's been with Tony Lunsford. Has been with me, Lord, uh, just about as long as Russell. My son plays keyboard, but my son, he's one of these, I say, not from here people. <laughs> At 15 years old, he might have been younger than that, uh, Angela Bofield flew him to Atlanta to play with her. He's one of those people, and again, here's, as you asked, he never took a lesson a day in his life. He sat down and says, Dad, I want to play bass. I bought him a bass. Took him to base day. He would play Marcus Miller note for note. He wasn't even a teenager mm. yet. Then one day turns yeah. around and says, I want to play piano. And my wife and I say, yeah, okay, yeah, we ain't going to spend a whole bunch of money for that. We go to Walmart and get a little cheap uh, Casio for him to play. And yeah. within months, he was playing Oscar Peterson. He would sit and listen to oh, the record yeah, and I pick love it Oscar out. Peterson. Yes, Ooh. but that Oscar mm-hmm. Peterson is oh like somebody not to be messed with. This kid was yeah. doing this off of ear, just oh, off of ear. Okay. Then so he developed to the point where we'll be driving down the street. I said, mm, I wish I knew the chords to that song. And he would say, Dad, he just played an A minor to a D seven and a G thirteen. He would hear it, relate it, and could give it back to me. So he's played with me. Of course, he's my son all those years. But then. It comes a time when you got to kick him out the, the nest. I was young, and I had my own peer group, and it would be selfish to drag you around playing with me. So go and play with your peers. So he plays with a lot of bands. He's, you know, in demand. And then he still comes in, Dad, I'm free this weekend. I say, okay, son, come on and play with me. <laughs> and, you know, and that sort of thing. But have your own life and go do that and enjoy your talent that you did, and he never took a lesson. Drums, I used yeah, to Yeah, I like his trusting. recordings. I had to call him, too, to get, to get some of his CDs. But I went online, and I heard them. I love them. He's good. Now, do you know where so, he recorded that at? 
all of that that you hear on his CDs, he recorded yeah. that himself on his keyboard. Is that right? All of the instruments you hear, he programmed oh. that himself, by himself. Oh, I love it. Go yes. Ahead. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't that good on my best day. I am, so, <laughs> I am so very proud of the things. And it's freakish for me to see someone be able to do that. But my wife and I sat around and thought about it, and we said, you know, we exposed him to great music coming up. So, yeah. if you know, with children today, like in computers, the things that we think are hard, they just grab it and do it. So right, they that's get, all they know. That's they all they know. So if they get good exposure yeah. young, it benefits them. He got good exposure young, and it surprises us now we'll start playing, and he'll go back and play a parliament or a Bootsy record. That's where you get that from. That's not your generation, but he heard us <laughs> play it. Right. So it, it, it's a wonderful thing. It is. My son, who is now deceased, he, he loved the guitar. Matter of fact, he loved the saxophone and the guitar. I don't know if you know uh, Pope or not, but he was oh, his which, instructor. Which Pope? The one that was um, the music director for the for the Baltimore City Board of Education, for the Baltimore... Are you speaking Education of James of Pope? James Pope? Is that the one? No, I think you're talking about his oldest brother. Oh, Roy Pope. Yeah, the oldest brother. Yes, Roy Pope. Roy Pope was a principal at Walbrook High School in Baltimore. James Mm -hmm. Pope was a music teacher. When I was just starting out on guitar, we played in a band together. Roy Pope was the manager, and James Pope played the trombone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He taught my son. Great. I want to repeat your band again because I want the people to know if they ever see them in their town to make sure that they buy the ticket to come and see him. The Rodney Kelly experience, consisting of Tony Lunsford on bass. Yes. Russell Lyle's saxophone. Correct. Kenny Trusty on drums. Yes. And Rodney Kelly at some time, Junior, on keyboard. That's Again, it. Ronnie, what valuable lessons are learned from the relationships of playing in the band with other musicians like this? Yes. Like some issues. Are there any issues about relative to recording, creating, well, you know, and there's leadership issues protocol. in how you deal with people. Okay. Uh, and, you know, they have a show called Unsung. You may have seen it on television. And it's yeah. amazing how all of these successful bands making good money could not stay together. The yeah. issue is how you deal and how you treat people. As musicians, we're quirky. And uh, Erica Baidu, <laughs> she said a little thing about one of her songs. She says, I'm an artist. That means I'm sensitive about my bleep bleep. We're all that way. We wear our heart yeah, on we our are. sleeves when it comes to our music. <laughs> so don't talk to us any kind of way. Uh, don't insult, because we're burying our soul when we're out there. Uh, right. My band will tell you, if I hit a bad note on stage, I'm the most critical of myself. They'll turn and laugh. Oh, wow. they, there's a saying, the Rodney look. My band, if they start going, and I'll give them the look. I say, oh, we must be, and they won't do that. But how you talk to individuals, how you treat them, mm-hmm. show them respect, because I appreciate you being here with me. They will stay with you. If everybody is on the vision that you are on, you have an unbreakable unit. And what I did not know, and my bass player brought to my attention, he says, Rod, when I was in Spain in the military, I said, one day I want to get in a jazz band, and I want to play the standards and mix them up with this, that, and the other, and this is what we're doing. I never knew that. So here's a man that he was already on the path that I was going on. We came right. together. Uh, Russell Lyle says to me, Rod, I love playing with this band the most because we don't play one type of music. We do a lot of different things, which keeps my mental faculties working. Well, then, I treasure folks like that. And they're yeah. honest, and I treasure. And so they stay with me, I stay with them. And I know they could play in other bands that make more money than we do, but there's a reason that they stay. How you treat people, that's the bottom line. Treat people right. Uh, the golden rule, how you want to be treated. Right. Yes. Let me take another break. But we're going to sure. take another station break. And we'll be back again in 15 oh. seconds. Wonderful. 
Welcome back, and thanks for listening to Wish Upon a Star. I'm Andell Banks, your host, and we are broadcasting on www.bbsradio.com, Station 2. You can listen to any of our previous broadcasts in the archive link. That, of course, would be on bbsradio.com, Station 2, Wish Upon a Star. We also welcome comments and suggestions about the program. Send them to us via email at musicradio34 at gmail.com. Again, we welcome comments and suggestions via email at musicradio34 at gmail.com. And look for us on iTunes, Facebook, in syndication, and global broadcasting as well. We're going to return back to our artist guest today, Rodney Kelly, jazz and classic RB guitarist of the Rodney Kelly Experience. I've heard you say or play several times on the range of your compositions with the guitar, and they yes. are phenomenal. Yes. Not knowing anything about playing the guitar, tell us how these tunes are mastered when playing a guitar. Well, what I try to do is to stay very close to the original hit. Of okay. course, you will never play it exactly like that person who did it, but you can come very, very close. And the reason I do that, and this is a good lesson for many uh, younger musicians coming up, and I'll show you how this works. Guys today will take a song that is a master monster tune. It may have sold a platinum cop, platinum records, which is a million records or more, and they'll take okay. that song and play it and do every which of way thing with that song. I would say to my musicians when I was first starting my band, you know, that song sold a million copies that way. Your way, it sold zero. Think about that a minute. The audience is not familiar with your way, what you want to change it, and that usually comes in with the ego, look at me, look at me, look at me. They're familiar with this song. Not everybody has the ability to jump in, alter a song, and make it better. Most of the time, it ends in a train wreck, and you can hear that. So I would say, be pure, and to know that what you can do with a song is not the most important thing. That is a lesson I had to learn hard. What you can do with a song is not the most important thing. How well you play your instrument is not the most important thing. So I guess you would ask what me what is the most important thing? I learned this. You probably met this gentleman. His name was Biddy Wood. Biddy passed away. He was the husband to Demita Joe. Now, if you don't yeah, know Demita Joe, yes, Janet yeah. Jackson's named after her. Well, she was out there yeah. with Ella and what have you. Biddy ran with Frank Sinatra and all of those guys back in those days. Right. So he got a wealth of information and knowledge. He would say to me, and I would say, man, I got to be this good guitar player. I got to do this. I got to blah, 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 blah. He says, shut up. It's not how well you play. It's how well you entertain. People want to be entertained. You okay. get on that stage okay. and you play 9,000 notes. Do you know who only hears that? Another guitar player or a musician. Your average listener knows the music you're playing because they're referencing it from a record that they've heard. So okay. you can entertain them. And it took a while to set in with me. He says not only entertainment just musically, but how you look. And it took a while. But if you look back of the jazz that we were playing and the jazz that I'm playing now in the traditional jazz, musicians didn't look like crap going on stage. None of them did, especially the black musicians, because we had to do more. They looked good on stage, and they spoke well. I started Absolutely. putting that to the test. So now yes. I'll go into a club, and the minute I go into a place that I haven't been, they don't know me, I'm looking around, and I'm calculating the ages of the people that are in that room. And I'm saying, hey, right. when that person came along, they listened to this, they listened to this. So I have built a wide variety of songs. And here comes your entertainment. I may pick out 
one person or two people in the crowd and go after them. I'm watching how they react. Like when you, uh, I think when you came to uh, see my performance, or maybe on the east side, there are some people in there that really love Frank Sinatra. When I came up, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that. But now, so I'll go and say, uh, we may be playing a song like Fly Me to the Moon. You know, let me play among your stars. There's a part that comes in that song, and it says, Darling, kiss me. I look at one person and say, Darling, darling, darling. And she's looking right back at me, kiss me. For the rest of that night and for any other time I'm playing, that person's going to come back. You've connected with them. Not only have you connected with them, you've connected with a lot of other people in that room that remember that. Now, back out of that and look around and see some who may be of a different ilk. You can look at the dress and see where they come from. Okay, I'll snatch my Stratocaster and pull out do some Led Zeppelin or some Jimi Hendrix. I've got those people now because, see, that's what they came up on. That's what they want to hear. Entertain them, and you have a fan for life. I have a fan base that is amazing to me because you know Baltimore being a widely separated town. We have Pig Town, Jew Town, Little Litley, and all of this. And Dundalk, I have folks that are coming from Dundalk that are primarily white folks coming all the way to the west side to hear me play, and vice versa. So you would say, why why did that happen? You have to connect with people. It's not about how well you can play. Back to Biddy, it's how well you entertain them. And it has worked for me. And so that, I think, is 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 a lesson for young ones. Uh, entertain, entertain. Look at the people who make the big bucks. Wasn't, or weren't they great players in the bands behind the Temptations? Yeah, the Funk Brothers and the behind all those singing groups, Teddy Prendergrass and all of these guys. But who do you remember? That front person who was entertaining. People went to see that because they wanted to be entertained. Entertain, and it will. It will, it will really work out for you. Okay, I wrote that down because I'll probably will use that again. Okay. So it's not so much that as you entertain the audience or the people who are in your audience. Yes. That's Personal. a great thing, and I, I will actually use that again when I'm speaking to musicians. Okay, Rodney. All right, we're in the mix of playing music. We got some gigs going on. What does come to mind on sustaining oneself in this technological age of playing music? Now, what comes to mind? Give me that last part again. On sustaining oneself in this technological Uh, age. mm -hmm. Yes, wonderful. Gotcha. My mom would say, it is a poor rat that has one hole. Now, out of all things for musicians and aspiring musicians to listen to, if you didn't hear anything I've said all day, Mm -hmm. listen to this, if you didn't hear anything. And I'll even use scripture that says, the scene of this world is changing, and so is this desire. The music business has changed. How money is made in the music business has changed. Clubs closing down by the boatloads of them. If you want to do something and be happy with your music and not let the thing that you love become the thing that you hate, have something else. Do not be single-minded in this. And I will give you a perfect example. I know, and I won't call names, several musicians that have been out there with stars that have made big money. But now the industry has changed, and they're not making Mm -hmm. that anymore. And they are crying. And they are whining. They're going on Facebook talking about what the clubs don't pay. The clubs ain't never paid a whole bunch. I can do what I do right now because years ago, I became a network engineer. I'm one of five Mm -hmm. engineers that helped build the entire network for the University of Maryland Medical Centers all throughout Maryland. While my kids were growing up, I deemed it necessary to be there as a father and husband to make sure that that was right and my house and these sort of things. So now I don't have to say, oh, I don't have a gig this week, and I'm not rich. I don't have a gig. Have something for yourself. Put something away. Be able to know and to change because the times 
change. The, the age of big bands, the age of bands like Earth, Wind & Fire, you ain't going into a club with a band that big these days. You make nothing. Right. That's changed. It used to be we could have five- and six-piece bands, but unless you are already established or playing wedding or your corporate circuit, which is not a lot in there, it's going to be a hard road. Now you're going to look at yourself, you're going to look at your life, and you're a young person, and you're going to be angry. Don't set yourself up that way. Be smart. Put something on the side. Play your music. Learn your music hard if that's what you want to do. But don't be single-track-minded. Be smart or you will be broke. Because you can go up right now in New York and walk down what they would call the Bowery and find world-class musicians sitting on the street with no place to go. Because things have changed. Be smart, young people. My parents, when they found out I could draw when I was Mm -hmm. in a kindergarten, (laughs) they would always, you know, come behind me and make push me to draw and push me to do art and all the way up to I got to my college years. So when I got to my college years, I told them I didn't want to do art. <gasps> oh, they were aghast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mm-hmm. wanted business. Yeah. So I also went into the technology field and became a uh, engineer. Okay. And I taught a medical management information systems and also set up different classrooms for technology in Virginia. Yes. Because I knew my art probably wouldn't have never sustained me, but that was a good move, too, because now my art, I sell it very well. But you are in control now, a very good job. Yeah, you're you're, you're in control now. Yes, yes. So now I feel great. I'm getting ready to go in the studio now to get ready for another show. So you're absolutely right. Don't be single-minded. Make sure you're aware of the changes. Now we want to talk about how everybody can get your music, Rodney. So we want to say, first of all, thanks for your being on the show. It was absolutely great. But give us the contact information where we can find out what your appearances are going to be in the future and any additional information on how we can get your recordings for purchase. Well, first, let me thank you so much. I feel honored to be on your show and to uh, speak with your listening audience, and I hope uh, some went away with something that can be helpful to them uh, of the experience that I have been through. So I really want to say thank you. My website, which is rodneykellymusic.com, they can go there and look at the schedule. Uh, they can get me on Facebook. You'll know it's me because I have the, right, the white suit on with the red guitar and the red hat under Rodney Kelly. Uh, you can YouTube and listen to videos that are on YouTube and just download them for your enjoyment. I am working on a CD. Believe it or not, after all these years, I'm finally working on a CD for me. See, that means I can do it at my leisure. <laughs> you know, and right. sometimes when you can do it at your leisure, oh, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. I'm playing. I'm enjoying my life, and I'm enjoying playing, but I'll get to the CD. Now, you can go to all those places, and if you're in Baltimore, mm-hmm. actually, if you go to my website and to uh, Facebook, my number's there. You can, hey, where are you going to be at? Or just shoot me a message where you're going to be at. And uh, we have a wonderful show coming up in Carroll County on the 29th. I think that's in Westminster at a beautiful theater yes. that's there. Yeah, Carl um, County Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to invite all that's in the area to come on out. But I play at a lot of places, and uh, some duo, some with the uh, full band. And uh, just come on up to the stage and holler at me. Say hello. You know, I love meeting new people because I'm a people person. Excellent. Absolutely fantastic. So, again, I'll be seeing you like they say on the radio or in your next show, because I'm trying to get a group together to go to the Carroll County Center show wonderful. on the 29th in Westminster. So yes, that is so wonderful. Rodney, and I thank again, you so much. Thank you. It has been absolutely a pleasure. So we're going to say thank you so much, and you can hang up, and we, I'll be back to sign off wonderful. in 15 seconds. Okay, bye-bye, and I'll talk to you again.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was absolutely fantastic to hear all the magnificent things that Rodney Kelly, Jazz and Clapper, your RB guitarist, and his group, the Rodney Kelly Experience. Again, watch out for him when he may be in your neighborhood or in your city or state. Again, thanks for listening to the broadcast. This is Andell, your host, and we're saying with your coordinator, Denise Banks, please keep reaching for the stars.